Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Boeing has announced a leadership shakeup on its 737 MAX team. The change comes more than six weeks after a piece of the fuselage broke off midair on a MAX 9 plane. It was January 5th when a door plug blew off that Alaska Airlines flight, leaving a gaping hole in the jet and terrifying passengers just minutes after takeoff from Portland. And the fallout and scrutiny over Boeing's safety practices continues. Here to talk about what's going on in Renton and what it means for the industry is Richard Abalafia, an aerospace industry analyst and managing director of Aerodynamic Advisory. Richard, hi. Great to have you back. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. And Naraj Chakshi covers aviation, rail and other transportation industries for The New York Times. Naraj, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, Naraj, walk me through what Boeing announced yesterday. What changes are in the works? Yeah, so this was the the first uh, significant you know personnel change since uh, this incident. Probably the the highest profile change is that uh, Ed Clark, who oversaw the seven thirty seven program and the work that was being done in Renton, is leaving the company. They had been at Boeing for uh, about eighteen years. Um, but you know, there's some other changes. Uh, Elizabeth Lund uh, it was named to a, a new a sort of higher level position overseeing quality among Boeing's commercial airplanes, and so. And that includes, you know, down the supply chain, you know, and, and there have been obviously a lot of quality concerns um, up and down the supply chain, you know, in the Renton factory, uh, of course, but also uh, at some of its big suppliers, including Spirit. And so she's going to be overseeing all of the work that's being done to kind of make sure that, you know, everything is being being put together uh, uh, up to their standards. And Naraj, Ed Clark hadn't been in charge of the MAX line for that long, right? The 737 MAX line. I mean, other than this incident, what legacy is he leaving? Uh, no, you're right. You know, he, he was only he only took on this position in 2021, um, but he came in at a really important time. First of all, he was <laughs> he was the fifth person to, to hold the position in um, in about three years um, since 2018 when he took over. But but more importantly, he was coming in right as Boeing was trying to ramp up production. Um, as everyone knows, you know, the 737 was banned from flying for almost two years uh, following the two fatal crashes. That ban ended at the end of 2020. And so when when Ed came in in 21, he's overseeing a program that's really trying to get up, get up to speed and really catch up on a lot of lost time. Yeah. So he was kind of the cleanup guy after some really... Um, serious safety concerns from the 2018-2019 MAX 8 crashes. And now he's out as Boeing is working to address this MAX 9 crisis. Richard, it seems in some ways that this is an obvious step for the company. Something went very wrong on a MAX 9 plane, and now the head of the MAX 9 program is out. Is this unexpected? What do you make of this? Not terribly. I think he was, what, fifth head of the program or something like that. And, you know, it, it, it seemed understandable. Um, you know, and the move with Elizabeth Lund is also, you know, smart. It's a good move. She's well regarded and the idea of a quality position. So you've you've seen a couple of good things now. Um, on the other hand, you're still left with the other 99.9% of things they have to do. <laughs> so uh, even though it's these are good moves, they're really just kind of a drop in the bucket. Can you touch on some of those things? I mean, you say this 
leadership move is a good move, but what are the scope of the challenges in front of Boeing right now? Well, let's face it, the cultural problems at Boeing are largely, you know, they, they emanate from the top. And these changes are at Boeing commercial, that unit. But really, nothing has changed at the top. You still have people who are completely unfamiliar with the ways of aircraft. Their previous move in the world of aircraft quality was to appoint nuclear submariners for some reason, as if you know that had anything to do with aircraft production whatsoever. Um, and similarly, what's really needed is to understand uh, the needs of the workforce and the supply chain and the supply chain's workforce and the resources and processes they need moving forward. Creating a couple of new positions doesn't really touch upon that effort that, well, management needs to engage in to understand these needs. Yeah. Niraj, Boeing certainly wants to project that it's taking safety seriously. What else is it saying, the company saying, about how it's trying to tighten manufacturing and, and safety practices? Yeah, well, well, for one, the company has said that it's, um, it's stepping up inspections um, along, you know, up to production uh, in Renton. And another thing that they, they've, they've said that they're, they're aiming to do is to try to reduce uh, some of the things that have sort of led to a more complex um, production process. And so that includes traveled work, which is when work is sort of done out of order. Um, that also includes, uh, they're about, at the start of the year, there were about 140 planes uh, in Boeing's inventory that still need to be, you know, sort of brought up to stuff and and then sent out and delivered to, to customers. And, and so there's this sort of extra work that's being done as at the same time that, you know, new planes are being built. And so they're trying to really quickly kind of get through all this so that they can they can have a more consistent sort of steady production process. Yeah. Richard, you hear those production process, things that Boeing is trying to iron out. I mean, how do you get to the core of that? We see Ed Clark's departure. We know um, there's going to be a new head of the MAX 9, the, the 737 program. Um, Elizabeth Lund is moving into this overall quality control chief role for all commercial planes, which is a new role for the company. I mean, how does the new leadership at Boeing, which, by the way, interestingly, um, both women here moving into the head of the MAX 9 program and this quality control uh, position, What's the challenge in front of them? I mean, how do they start to iron out these manufacturing and, and labor issues? Well, resource constraints like culture start from the top. And this is not the top. This is Boeing commercial. You know, if you look at the real problem with Boeing, it's come from the rather small group of people sequestered off in formerly Chicago and now the greater Washington, D.C. area. I, I think change really needs to happen there. Uh, these changes are certainly good. These are some good people. But so much more needs to happen before this company returns to its roots as an aircraft producer rather than a, a company run by people who are prioritizing, uh, you know, financial abstractions. Yeah. Cash flow, uh, stock price, things like that. Uh, shareholder value. We've talked about the cultural history of that, the McDonnell-Douglas merger, um, you know, what's led up to this perception that leadership at Boeing is no longer prioritizing engineering and safety and manufacturing. Um, Naraj, what do you think about the challenges that new leadership of the MAX 9 program and the overall quality control positions have in front of them? I mean, what sort of priorities are these leaders going to have to be addressing um, moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, they have a, they have a lot of uh, convincing to do. Um, they need to really show that employees and, and the public and the FAA 
uh, and lawmakers in FTC uh, that they're taking quality seriously, that, you know, it's something that they, they value. It's something that employees are able to speak up about and will be listened to and won't be won't be punished for slowing things down. And so, you know, I, I, th- I think it's really they, they need to kind of go on a, a campaign to kind of show that they're committed to this. And Naraj, can you refresh us? Where does the NTSB investigation stand now? And what has the agency said so far about how the heck a door plug can fly off midair? Yeah. So, you know, a few weeks ago, they put out the preliminary report. Um, there's still clearly a lot more work to be done. A uh, final report probably won't come out for quite some time. That preliminary report was was rather damning for Boeing. It suggested that, you know, after some work was done, done on that door plug, uh, that the bolts that hold it in place were not put back. Um, and, and this is work that was being done in Renton. If that's true, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty big elapse, both in, in the initial person who should have put them back, but also in in quality control, right? I mean, someone should have been, should have inspected and okayed and approved um, that the door is ready to go. Um, and so, you know, it, there's there's a, there's definitely a lot of, a lot more to be seen, but um, but so far, you know, it's not looking good for Boeing. Yeah, and this is a Spirit Aerosystems fuselage, but ultimately the door plug is removed and replaced at a Boeing facility in Renton. So this does fall in the lap of Boeing. Um, and Naraj, the FAA is doing an investigation as well, right, in reviewing Boeing's manufacturing and compliance practices. Um, the agency says it's expanded oversight. Do we know what that means? Like, what role does the FAA have right now? What kind of effect is it having? Yeah, so so they're um, they're conducting an audit right now. The FAA has also uh, told Boeing that they won't allow it to produce uh, more than a rate of thirty eight planes a month, which Boeing is is you know was hoping to to move past um, until the FAA is convinced that Boeing you know is really taking safety seriously and and is you know producing quality um, consistently producing quality planes. Yeah, that's a huge deal, right, Richard? I mean, the fact that the FA administrator, Mike Whitaker, says that he's not going to approve the expansion of the line or any additional MAX 9 production lines, that is a serious question about Boeing's ability to to fill orders, right? What does it mean for the company if it can't expand these lines? And what are the ripple effects for the industry? Yeah, I mean, enormous on so many different levels. Although let's focus first on the somewhat ironical aspect of this, which is that 38 is uh, not a ceiling right now. It's an aspiration. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> they have yet to demonstrate that they could even get to 38. And certainly nothing about this month or the previous month indicates that they can sustain it. So um, it would be good to even get there. Now, having said that, from the FAA's perspective, every move is understandable because they're under a great deal of scrutiny, both by Congress um, and other parts of the U.S. government and by their international regulatory partners. Um, You know, the issue of international reciprocity was hanging by a shred back in the aftermath of the Max 8 crashes a few years ago. and, And that issue still hangs over them. So they've got to keep a lid on things now in terms of if they get to 38 and can sustain it, um, th- that's not enough uh, because Airbus is heading to 75 within a couple of years for their single aisle lines. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, customers do want next generation single aisle planes because of the high cost of fuel and competitive dynamics of the industry. So the upshot is no matter what happens, Boeing is losing market share. And CEO David Calhoun has said that they're not going to work on that next generation plane for some time, right, Richard? 
Well, it all gets confusing. This generation is sort of next generation in, <laughs> in colloquial uh, terms. Um, so the question becomes, what do they do to come up with a larger new generation plane that can compete with the A321neo, effectively a 757-sized aircraft? And uh, basically, Dave Calhoun handed Airbus an enormous gift in November of 2022, and he said, well, we won't be doing anything, doing anything, so you should probably go buy an A321neo, and last year was a massive record number of A321neo orders, over 1,300, courtesy of this rather bewildering announcement. Yep, so customers listened to him, <laughs> basically. Oh, yeah, they, they took him at his word, which is probably uh, smart from their perspective, because everyone wants a new generation mid-size plane, which means 200 to 240 seats, four to 5,000 nautical miles, you know, basically a kind of route fragmentation machine. And Boeing doesn't really offer anything in that class. And uh, Airbus's product isn't perfect, but it's there. Hmm. Richard, I want to bring up Spirit Aerosystems once again, because there's been some new reporting on their work and, and culture over in Wichita. Um, friend of the show, reporter Patrick Malone at the Seattle Times, talked to a new Spirit Aerosystems whistleblower who backed up a colleague's account of shoddy manufacturing at this Boeing supplier. The whistleblower said that managers at the Wichita plant didn't listen to workers who flagged problems. And the quote really damning from this article is, you want to fix problems, not hide them. The culture at Spirit is just really sick. You know, Boeing can change all it wants, Richard. That, you know, can happen in Renton and in Everett. But it really relies on contractors to build a lot of these planes. What's your reaction to that reporting about what's happening at Spirit and what it means big picture? This is a Boeing jet. That is to say, they are responsible for their supply chain. Now, does that necessarily mean spirit is completely innocent? Certainly not. There's a lot to be looked at. Having said that, you know, <laughs> you've got the strange situation that in the last decade, Boeing spent a lot of time beating up its suppliers. I mean, under the Partnership for Prosperity program, kind of the more Orwellian name they could have chosen, they basically did everything they could to extract cash out of them. And then it left them holding the bag with the Mac shut down. And then there was the COVID pandemic. How the supply chain survived all of this is kind of a miracle of the industry. And they're badly under-resourced, not just Spirit, but the other hundreds of suppliers. Because remember, 70% of a Boeing jet doesn't come from Boeing. It comes from the suppliers. They're badly under-resourced to make a very ambitious ramp. This is all on Boeing. Now, are there cultural changes that need to take place at Spirit? Arguably, they have a new CEO, former Boeing person, very well regarded, Pat Shanahan. But yeah, former DOD acting head. Former DOD acting Secretary of Defense. That's exactly right. Yeah, very well regarded. But all of this is squarely under the heading of Boeing's problem. Naraj, I know you're going to continue reporting on what's happening at Boeing and on the fallout from the January 5th blowout. Anything else to add before we go on what threads you're going to be following, what questions still need to be answered about what's happening at this very consequential aerospace manufacturer? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, two things on my mind are, you know, what does this mean for Boeing's customers? You know, you've seen the the CEOs of uh, Alaska Airlines and United Airlines, um, you know, be, you know, publicly frustrated <laughs> with the company. Uh, and there are only two uh, major commercial airplane manufacturers, uh, Airbus and Boeing. And so then there are limits on, you know, how much uh, business can be lost to Airbus. But, um, you know, 
there, what remains to be seen is, you know, the sort of long-term reputational damage uh, that's being done by this episode and other episodes. Um, the other thing, you know, I, I, I would really like to understand, and I think we really need to get, get to the bottom of is, is how employees are feeling. I mean, this is the latest in a long line of frustrations. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, um, you know, you have to wonder what morale is like, um, you know, at, at the company. Yeah. And contract talks with the International Association of Machinists um, are just beginning here in the next month. Um, The head of Boeing's HR has just departed. We get that news this morning. Just a lot of turnover and questions about what's happening there. Um, Richard, final thoughts? You know, absolutely. Um, Remember that Boeing spent the last 15 years treating its uh, workforce exactly how it treated its suppliers, you know, somewhere between uh, a punching bag and an ATM. You're going to have issues with morale. There you have it. Richard Abalafia is an aerospace industry analyst and managing director of aerodynamic advisory. Niraj Chakshi is a reporter covering aviation, rail and other transportation industries at The New York Times. I'm assuming it's mostly aviation these days, Niraj. Um, Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to SoundSide. And hey, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.